So as we come into our passage this morning, what we're going to see is that Matthew is bringing it back to the bigger picture. You'll, you'll remember last week that Matthew kind of took an aside, that he told us that Jesus is headed to the cross, he told us that Jesus is condemned, and then he stepped aside so that we could see what happens to Judas, and we could see even more clearly the hearts of the, the chief priests and the elders, the spiritual leaders of Israel. And so this morning what we're going to see is that he's going to bring this back to the bigger picture. He's going to reconnect it into the, the broader picture of what the Lord is doing and ultimately to the Lord Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. He's going to clarify that this is what John meant when he wrote that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. You see, they have condemned Jesus. The Sanhedrin, the leaders of Israel, the religious establishment of Israel has determined that Jesus is guilty of blasphemy. But he's a long way from being executed. He's a long way from being murdered. They could, like they have some of the other sinners that we've read throughout the Gospels, pick up rocks and in a fit of rage hit him and stone him until he was dead. But they wanted Jesus to be humiliated publicly. They wanted him to be executed officially. And so they go and they appeal to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the, the, government, uh, the governor on behalf of the Roman Empire to the people of Israel. And they go to Pilate and they can't tell Pilate, this man's guilty of blasphemy. This man doesn't love God enough. This, th this man believes that, that he is someone that he simply cannot be. Because Pilate wouldn't care. Instead, they have to show that Jesus is a threat to Rome and the rule of Rome and the peace of the people in the grasp of Rome. And so they go and they, they figure out how to massage it just right and say it just right about using Jesus' messianic claims against him. And so they go to Pilate and they say, this man says he is the king of the Jews. This man says he is king, not Caesar. This man says he is the ruler, not you. And so they present Jesus as a political revolutionary. They, they present Jesus as a political insurrectionist so that Pilate will have to act. Pilate asks him a question, a clarifying question that cuts through all of the noise and cuts through all of the context to get, to get really to the heart of the matter. Pilate asks Jesus, as we're going to see, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? It was a question that had every implication for that day and in fact has every implication to us today. It was a question of life and death for Jesus on that day. And brothers and sisters, it is a question of life and death for us today. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. When you get to Matthew 27, if you would stand with me. As we read God's word together. We're going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 26. God's inerrant and all sufficient word says, Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elder, elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. 
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged, Jesus delivered him to be crucified. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. This morning, I want to ask you three questions from our text. And the first question that I want to ask you is, what will you do with the Word of God? What will you do with the Word of God? Now, at first glance, it may seem that this has little to do with our text. But in fact, beneath the surface, bubbling underneath, this question has everything to do with our text. In fact, this is the question that all of our characters are wrestling with, whether they realize it or not. The first thing that I want us to see here about the Word of God is I want you to notice Jesus' response. Now, you have Jesus. He's been brought before Pilate. He's been asked, are you the king of the Jews? He, he acknowledges this charge, but then it says something extraordinary. The chief priests and the elders, they're there, and they're persuading the crowd, and they're bringing accusations against Jesus and charges against Jesus. We already know that they are bringing false witnesses to, to lie about Jesus. So they're bringing up all these trumped-up charges against Christ that are not true. They're saying that he's done things that he hasn't done and said things that he hasn't said. But to all of these charges, Jesus is silent. Jesus doesn't say a word. That the only charge that Jesus responds to, the only charge that Jesus answers is the charge that is true. The charge that is true. You have to realize that Pilate is looking throughout our text. In fact, three different times, Pilate declares Jesus innocent. And so he is looking throughout our text, trying to find a way to release Jesus. He believes that it is unjust. Even Pilate, as wicked as he was, and as harsh as he was, sees that, that Jesus is an innocent man and that he is un, undeserving of crucifixion. And throughout the, the text, he is looking for opportunities. In the other gospel accounts, he is looking for opportunities. It's very likely that Jesus could have spoken up and he could have gotten off. He could have gotten Pilate to release him. But he doesn't say a word. 
He doesn't answer the false accusations. He doesn't show them that they are liars. Throughout Jesus' ministry, whenever the Pharisees, whenever the scribes, whenever the priests would come to him and they would try to tie him up in these little ethical knots and they would try to, try to confuse him with the scriptures and they would try to show him that he was out of alignment with the law, we see that he always proves himself to be of greater insight, to be of greater logic, to be of greater rationale. He always ties them up in a pretzel when they're trying to tie him up into a knot, right? And so we know that Jesus could have done that right here. Jesus could have confused the, the elders right here. Jesus could have convinced with the force of his logic and the force of his mind and the force of his purity. He could have convinced Pilate that he was not deserving of the cross. Pilate believed it anyway. And yet Jesus doesn't say a word. He only speaks up to affirm that he is, in fact, the king of the Jews. Why? Why? Jesus is showing himself to be the Messiah the scriptures promised. Jesus is proving that he is who the prophets have long predicted. He is the seed of Abraham come to be a blessing to all nations. He is the great prophet in the likeness of Moses who doesn't speak face to face with God, but rather is God incarnate. John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is, Jesus Christ is the very Word of God in human flesh, incarnate. He is the manifestation, the proof the essence of the word of God in and of himself and he will not speak in a single way as to bring himself into conflict with the word of God, to bring himself into conflict to the will of God. He has accepted that he is the suffering servant that Isaiah writes of when he says he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You see, Jesus, Jesus understood that he was the Messiah of the scriptures. And Jesus believed that the scriptures verified him and that he verified the scriptures. Jesus believed that on the day of his resurrection, he would be shown and proven to be in alignment to what the prophets had said. That he would be shown to be in alignment with what God had promised. That he would be exactly who the Messiah was supposed to be. You'll remember on the day of his resurrection in Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to two of his disciples on the Emmaus road. And at first they don't recognize him. And then Jesus tells them exactly who he is. And he begins to walk them through what? All of the scriptures. He begins to start in Genesis and find his way all the way into the literature, the, the wisdom literature of Job and, and of Psalms and Proverbs. He begins to go into the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea. And throughout all of the scriptures, he shows how it's all about him and how he is in the midst of all of it. And where he is throughout the scriptures as the fulfillment, as the, as the satisfaction of the word of God, bearing witness to him that the word we can be certain is true because Christ came and Christ believed it. And we can believe that Christ is true because he is who the word said that he was. That the word verifies Christ and Christ verifies the word. You see, there's, a, there's two questions that's important for us to consider. First of all, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he was? Do you believe that Jesus it was the son of God sent from God to save the people of God? Jesus believed that he was the only way to heaven. Jesus believed that. 
He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus believed that he was the gate by which men and women could enter and have eternal life with God. Jesus believed that about himself because that's what he discovered in the scriptures. Now, if you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, if you believe that Jesus is who he believed he was, it leads us to a second question. Do you hold the same view of God's word that Jesus held? Do you hold the same view of God's word that Jesus held? You see, if rationally you believe that Jesus is the word incarnate, if rationally you believe that Jesus is the son of the living God, if you believe that Jesus is the sinless, spotless Messiah that was to take our place, being entirely God and entirely man, then you are to bring your life in submission to him. You cannot have a view that is different than his view. You cannot believe differently than what Jesus believed. And Jesus believed that the scriptures bore witness to him. Jesus believed the scriptures were true. Jesus believed they were the word of God made manifest in his own life and that they were given to all believers for all generations to walk in obedience. You can't change the scriptures by your opinions. And you can't alter the scriptures to fit into culture. No, if you adopt Jesus, if you surrender to Jesus as your Savior, if you surrender to Jesus as the God-man who took your place in sin and absorbed the wrath of God, then you must adopt Jesus' view of the scriptures too. So what what will you do about the word of God? How will, what will you do with the word? Will you receive it as the word that is filled with the power of God and the holiness of God and the purity of God, of God and the truth of God? Or, or, or will you reject Jesus as Savior? That's the options. The second question, the second group that I want us to see this morning in, their, in, in the context of their relationship to God's word is not just Jesus' view of God's word, but in Israel's view, the leaders of Israel, the the priests, the shepherds of Israel, and their view. Now, it's it's funny how Matthew, it's very subtle how he contrasts the view of the leaders of Israel, the teachers of God's law, with a Gentile woman, with a Gentile woman. Now, remember, the the people that we're talking about, they were the people that, that taught in the synagogues. They were the people that led worship in the temple. They were the people that were to instruct the people of God into in the word of God so that they could observe the law and be brought into right relationship with God. And yet that we find them continually manipulating the word and, and using the word in a way that is destructive to the gospel and destructive to the will of God and destructive to the people of God. But in the midst of this story, there's a strange occurrence. See, for most Roman governors, Pilate, was, he didn't live in Jerusalem. He was in town because the Passover was in town. And he had to make sure that he kind of kept the peace, Right? And so he had come to a temporary palace to hang out for a few weeks during this festival to make sure things were straight. And over the course of the majority of the Roman Empire, it had been illegal against the law for the the governors to bring their wives, the officials to bring their wives along with them on the treks. But here's Pilate's wife. Church history tells us that the law of Rome had literally just been changed so that a man like Pilate could bring his wife Uh, along with him on his journeys. And here she is to play a central role in the crucifixion of Christ. She sends word to Pilate. 
She sends word to Pilate. I, I, was, I was sleeping, and, and I began to suffer in my sleep. I had, a, I had a dream that brought suffering to me, and I'm convinced by that dream that, that this man that you are crucifying, this man that is standing before you, he is righteous, he is innocent, he is pure, and you should have nothing to do with him. You, you, need, to, you need to get rid of this whole situation. You need to wash your hands of this man. Now, throughout the book of Matthew, the word dream that she uses is used six times. This is the sixth time that it's used in the book of Matthew. All five of the previous instances are used of God speaking. God speaking. God's word going out. And here she is, and she's using the same word. What is Matthew trying to say? Matthew is showing us that the leaders of Israel were, were blind to God's word. The leaders of Israel had hardened their hearts to God's word. But here, here is a Gentile woman. Here is an impure woman. Here is a woman that they believe to be unworthy of the word of God, unworthy of the worship of God. And she hears it in a dream. Hears it in a dream and responds. They added 1,500 years of scripture by this point. 1,500 years. They had what Isaiah said that I just wrote. They had what Jeremiah had written about the new covenant, what Ezekiel had written about the new covenant. They had the promises of Moses. They were the ones to whom God had revealed himself most clearly and made promises to them. Many of them had scripture memorized, entire books of scripture, perhaps the entirety of the Torah memorized. And though they knew it, Though they taught it, though they memorized it, they missed it. They missed it. The word of God goes to a Gentile woman, the woman of a pagan governor, a woman whose name we don't even know. And she responds. Pilate's wife responded to God's word while the priests manipulated it. I wonder this morning, do you trust the word of God like this unbelieving woman? Or do you manipulate it like the leaders of Israel? Does the word of God always end up making it, are you always able to, to say what you want to say and do what you want to do and be what you want to be because this is what I believe, this is what my opinion is, this is what my thoughts are, even though, even though you know, bearing witness in your heart is the Holy Spirit telling you that what you believe and what your opinions are and what you, your thoughts are, are in discord with the word of God, that they are bringing fracture in your relationship with God. Are you manipulating the scriptures to self-medicate your disobedience? Are you manipulating the scriptures so that your habits are okay and your selfishness is bearable and your unfaithfulness is excused? Or are you ready to respond to whatever God has to say, whatever God has to say it, and if your life is out of alignment, to bring it into alignment? What is your view of the scriptures? What is your view of the scriptures? Theologically, you may believe the right things. You may have it memorized. You may know it. You may know how all of it fits together. But what you actually believe about the scriptures, what you actually think about the scriptures will be revealed by the obedience or the disobedience of your life. What do you believe about the scriptures this morning? The second question that I want us to consider is which Jesus will you choose? 
which Jesus will you choose? The first question, what will you do with the Word of God? The second question, what, which Jesus will you choose? Pilate has actually sized up the situation pretty accurately here. He realizes that Jesus is not a threat to Rome. He realizes that Jesus is, is not trying to ascend to Caesar's role as empire. As a matter of fact, we get a, a glimpse kind of behind the scenes in John chapter 18 of the same story. Pilate kind of calls Jesus over to the side and says, hey man, hey man, they're, they're trying to kill you. You got something you want to say now? Huh? You, you, you want to talk, they're, they're wanting to crucify you. Or why, are you. why are you going along with this? Why are you accepting this? What, why are you just saying that you're the king of the Jews? Do you not see what they're trying to do? You know what Jesus tells them? I am the king of the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I am who they say I am. I am who you asked me if I was. I'm just not the way they think I should be. You see... He'll make it. So, so Pilate is in a, a situation in which he's trying to, 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 to kind of squirm out of it. He's been on the bad side of Rome for, for some time. Tiberius had been frustrated with, with Pilate because Pilate had, had been too harsh with the people of God and caused riots to uprise. And so for the, the advancement of his own ambition, Pilate, he needs this to go well. And so what he wants to do, his, he's got his wife. You can imagine Pilate's situation here, right? He's got his wife in one ear saying, like, you better back down. You better back down, bro. Like, don't, don't do it. And then you got the, the Jews in his other ear saying, crucify him. Crucify him. And so what Pilate is trying to do is Pilate is trying to find a way that he can pacify both the Jews and his wife. You ever been there before? He's trying to make everybody happy. He wants a happy marriage. He wants a happy rule. He wants his job. His he wants all of this just to be splendid. And so he comes up with a scheme. He comes up with a scheme that appears to be perfect. He's going to have Jesus released, but he's going to release him by the Jews' request, right? So he presents them with two options. There was an established custom at the time that one of the criminals that they had arrested from the Jewish people would be released, and it would be the Jews' choice. They could choose. On the Passover, they could choose any one criminal, and Rome would just let them go. They could choose their favorite, and he would be free. And so it appears that they already had a man by the name of Barabbas. He'd already been selected. He'd already been set aside. So, so what Pilate decides is Pilate decides, I'm going to give them a second option here. And you've got to remember, Pilate doesn't understand all the undercurrents that's happening. And he remembers, he had certainly heard that when Jesus came into town, there was a huge crowd there say, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. So if he presents like notorious criminal Barabbas, the insurrectionist Barabbas, the enemy of Rome Barabbas, and Jesus, the one they've just sang praises to, Jesus, the one that he knows is innocent, certainly, certainly the crowd will choose, Barab uh, choose Jesus. Then it'll be their idea. He'll release him. Uh, the, he can't, the, the leaders of Israel can't hold him accountable. He'll make his wife happy. Everybody will be pacified. But behind in the back, in the back story, in the background, all of the leaders of Israel going and permeating throughout the crowd and persuading the crowd and twisting the crowd and confusing the crowd so that ultimately when he presents them with the two options, he says, they say, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. A long cry from when he had come in and they had cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, glorify God, glory to God in the highest. There's something scary there. 
You see, they were as close to the gospel as they could be, yet they were blind to it. They were close to the gospel. They were close to the glory of God. He was right there in their midst. And yet, though Christ was there, though they had the scriptures, though the gospel was within their grasp, they couldn't see it. Their hearts were hardened to it. Their eyes were blind to it. Their ears were deaf to it. Does that not sound just like the Bible Belt South? Does that not sound just like the Bible Belt South? We have churches on every corner, but the Word of God is dusty and strange to us. We have people who pronounce that, that God is the top priority in their lives, and though, even though they don't look any godlier than anyone else. We have professing Christians who practice very little actual godliness. We have people who would, like the leaders of Israel, have glory in their midst, the truth in their midst, and yet they are blind to it. Their ears are deaf to it. You see, the spiritual leaders of Israel, they wanted just enough God so that they would be socially acceptable, but not so much that they would be strange. They wanted to blend in and have all the things of the world and have all the wealth of the world, have all the prosperity of the world. And so they, they used the temple. They used the temple and they Christianized their selfishness and they Christianized their wickedness and they, they put it in the language of scriptures so that the temple could become the prophet bearers for their own ambitions. I wonder, I wonder how many of us We want just enough of Jesus so that we can do what is socially acceptable, but not so much that we stand out from the crowd. I wonder how many of us, we want just enough Jesus so that everybody will get off our backs about it, but not so much of Jesus that it changes the course of our lives. We want just enough Jesus so that we can feel as though eternity is secure, but not so much of Jesus so that our lives change in the here and now. I wonder how many of us are close to the gospel and see the gospel and hear the gospel, but like the leaders of Israel, we don't love the gospel. See, with every day, of trying to blend into the crowds here and trying to blend in to the world here. You are doing nothing more than blending in with the crowd that day when they shouted out about the Lord Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. The translation, it may have Barabbas' first name or it may not. The ESV does not. Some of the other translations do. If you you do, you'll see that it's it's ironic what what Barabbas' first name is, right? His first name is Jesus. His first name is Jesus. And and Barabbas was who Israel wanted the Lord Jesus to be. He was who they wanted him to be. He was what they believed the Messiah should be. You see, Barabbas was an insurrectionist. He was a revolutionary. He was one that believed that, that he must overthrow Rome by force. He must murder for the cause of God. He was one who believed that he must lead a political uprising and reestablish the Davidic throne here on earth. He was the one who believed that, that he needed to assemble an army here and now and overthrow the oppressive rule. But Jesus was different, wasn't he? 
Barabbas was everything that they wanted the Messiah to be. Barabbas was what they wanted Jesus to be. His plan was to kill for Israel's freedom, but Jesus' plan was to die for Israel's freedom. He wanted, to, he wanted David's throne established in Jerusalem, and Jesus wanted to ascend the Davidic throne in a new Jerusalem. He wanted to overthrow the tyranny of Rome, and Jesus wanted to overthrow the tyranny of sin. And so this morning, they bring to us a poignant question, the same question that faced the crowd that day. Pilate is asking to us, which Jesus will you choose? Which Jesus will you choose? Will you choose the Jesus that you expected, or will you choose the Jesus that is? Will you choose the Jesus that will allow for earthly prosperity? Or will you choose the Jesus that says to live for delayed glory? Will you choose the Jesus that makes life easier in the here and now and allows you to blend in in the here and now? Or will you choose the Jesus that has been revealed to us by the scriptures? Will you choose the Jesus that is made in the image of the American dream? Or will you choose the Jesus that came saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after me? See, brothers and sisters, you have to decide if you want a self-help coach or a savior. You have to decide whether you want a grandpa or a God. Because if you find yourself following a Jesus that's just like you expected and lets you live the life that's most comfortable for you, then you don't actually have the true Christ. You aren't actually worshiping the true Savior. You are worshiping yourself. You are worshiping a Savior that has been molded in your own mind and by your own hands into your own image. That's what Israel declared. As Israel declared, let us have Barabbas. Let us have Barabbas. What they were saying was, is we reject the true Christ for the Christ that we wanted, for the Christ that we preferred, for the Christ that we imagined. Iron City, who will we choose? Which Christ do we want? The true and risen Christ that calls for us to live for the next life of the American Jesus that we have all imagined that lets us be comfortable, unchanged, and unchallenged. This morning, which Jesus will you choose? Which Jesus will you choose? The final question I want us to consider is how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? You'll see that the priests and the elders were envious, yet self-righteous. They were envious, yet self-righteous. So, so, Pilate may not have been a particularly astute man. We know by history that Pilate was not a particularly moral man, or a spiritual man, or a good man. But Pilate meets these leaders of Israel, and immediately he knows what they are. Immediately, he knows who they are. They want to kill Jesus, not because Jesus is guilty, not because Jesus is bad, not because Jesus is a threat to Rome. They want to kill Jesus because they are jealous of him. You see, they wanted authority, but Jesus had real authority. They wanted power, but Jesus had real power. They wanted the embrace of the people, but Jesus had true embrace of the people. 
They wanted to be the leaders of, of, of Israel, but Jesus had established himself as a better leader. They were credentialed rabbis. And here was Jesus, this young upstart guy that had brought in a, a, a following just because he was able to speak in a way that they had never heard before. They wanted to be able to have the greatest insights into the law of God. But Jesus, time and time again, proves that he has far greater insight and that he has far greater wisdom. And so again and again, they've realized they don't measure up. And again and again, they are humiliated by him. And overall, eventually, they become so envious, so envious that they want to kill him. And so what, they, what do they try to do? They try to take their envy. They try to take their jealousy. They try to take their anger and their bitterness and their murderous conspiracy and they try to cover it in the rags of self-righteousness. They try to cover it in the rags of of Christianized language. They try to take the, the scriptures and the law and show why Jesus is out of alignment with the law, why Jesus can't possibly be the Savior. I wonder if you would respond to Jesus today in envy that is camouflaged as self-righteousness. Envy that is camouflaged as godliness. I wonder how many of you, you really want control over your life? You really, you really are, are jealous of the authority that Christ has over you. And you would say, no, I, I think I understand the scriptures a little bit clearer. I think I know a better way. I think I know a clearer path to God. And so you try to redefine what the church has taught and what, the, what Christ has led in a way that makes you appear as though you have some moral high ground. But instead, you are simply see- seeking to overthrow the authority of Christ. In Pilate, we see him respond a different way. Pilate is amazed, yet unchanged. Pilate is amazed, yet unchanged. Think about this. So it says says that, but he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now you realize, this is what Pilate did for a living, right? Pilate had criminals before him all the time. He made judgments of life and death over criminals all the time. And, and if you've ever been into, in, into a prison before, and if you've ever done ministry in a prison, we have, we have a lot of folks here that have, you know that nobody's guilty there, right? Like nobody's guilty there. And, and everybody has a story, and everybody is waiting to plead their case as to why they did is, what they did is acceptable, why what they did shouldn't be illegal, why what they did, what, what others say they did, they really didn't do. What does Jesus do? He does something that is astonishing to Pilate. He doesn't speak. And by not speaking, by not declaring his innocence, like all the other criminals, Pilate realizes that he is accepting it. He is accepting the scourging that is to come. He is accepting the lashes that are to go across his back. He is accepting the beard to be ripped from his face. He is accepting his own suffocation on the cross. And Pilate is amazed. Pilate is amazed. A word that is usually saved for when Jesus has done something miraculous and the crowd is astonished and the crowd is amazed is used here to describe Pilate's response to Christ. Yet he washes his hands. He hardens his heart. 
Pilate came in to this scene with Jesus as a self-serving, ambitious man, and he left the scene with Jesus as a self-serving and ambitious man. He was amazed by Jesus. He was moved with emotion about Jesus. Perhaps he had goosebumps raised up on his, his arms. Perhaps he even had tears fill his eyes. But whatever the case was for Pilate, he came in and he was moved, astonished, and amazed, yet he left the same man that he came. How many stories like that are among us? You have bore witness to the living Christ. You have bore witness to Christ in all of his glory. You have seen Christ changing lives right in front of him, in front of you, making the difference in families and making the difference in husbands and making the difference in moms and dads. You've been in services in which the Spirit of God was pleased to move and brought many people into the kingdom of God. You may have even had goosebumps raised up on your arm. You may have signed a card. You may have been baptized. But when you came up out of the water, you were no different than when you went in. You were amazed by Jesus and astonished by Jesus, but you were not changed by him. Can I ask you, what makes you different than Pilate? What makes you different than Pilate? You see, Pilate was seated upon his judgment seat. And he was declaring whether or not the Christ would live or die. But the day was coming really soon in which Pilate would crumble before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus would say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. And this morning, one day, you will have to answer the question, what did you do with the king of the Jews? Did you walk in submission? Or did you manipulate the word? Did you... Did you come in and were emotionally stirred and goosebumps raised but left unchanged? Or did you devote your life to Him? Did you submit to Him? Did you love Him? Did you obey Him? Did you follow Him? Did you glorify Him? This morning, how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond to the Christ who came? Will you surrender to Him as King? Let's pray today.